with me to uh, the book of John. Uh, John chapter 13, if you want, just follow along in the insert that's found in your bulletin. Grab a Bible in the back, as you're always welcome to do. Those of you who were here last week, remember that we finished last week a, uh, a months-long series. We started it last fall, a months-long series through the book of Daniel. And uh, with that behind us, uh, with... Um, Easter now on the horizon, uh, just uh, five weeks from today, I wanted to begin turning our hearts, turning my own heart, uh, to the selfless, selfless passion of the Lord Jesus that led Him to the cross, an act that was, of course, vindicate, vindicated by uh, God raising Him from the dead on the third day. And not just these acts, but what he was concerned about communi communicating to his people. That's what I want to focus on. And so, today we turn to what is the beginning of what is known as the Upper Room Discourse or the Farewell Discourse. I've been meditating on some of these passages for quite some time. These are some of my favorite accounts of the Lord Jesus' actions and words Many of these stories ring true and ring familiar to you, the basin and the towel, the house with many rooms, the vine and the branches, the coming of the Spirit, and the high priestly prayer. Alexander McLaren, the English minister of the 19th century, known as the Prince of Expositors, eloquently wrote this about these chapters that we're about to dive into. He says, nowhere else do the blended lights of our Lord's superhuman dignity shine with such lambent, that's an old term for glowing, brightness. Nowhere else is His speech at once so simple and so deep. Nowhere else have we the heart of God so unveiled to us? Well said. Well said. And so for the next five weeks leading up to Resurrection Sunday, we're going to focus our hearts on these five chapters, John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. Now, I'm not going to preach all of those chapters. They're big, long chapters, but I do want to preach one sermon from each chapter ending on Resurrection Sunday with the high priestly prayer, all with a view to focusing on this glowing brightness of the Lord Jesus that we find here. See, these words spoken long ago, these are for us. These are for the people of God. At this point in Jesus' life, He's no longer focused on the, the masses on the hillsides. Now, in these chapters, he's focused on his people. His focus is on this new messianic community that will form in and around and through these 12 men that sit with him in this room. And today, he's going to paint a picture for them and for us. They say a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, this morning it's worth over 2,000 words if you count the words of this sermon. And so I invite you this morning to give your attention to God's Word. If you would, to stand with me 
if you are able, as they did in the book of Ezra when the book of the law was opened, John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. Listen as I read. This is God's holy word. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin And he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, A servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. This morning as we come to what is, I know for many of us, a familiar passage, I want us to be reminded of, encouraged by, and exhorted this morning by by three things. And those of you who are kids who are taking notes, we're going to have three points. And I want to double down on our kids and encourage our kids 
to follow along. And I haven't done this in a while, but I want to encourage our kids to, after you've completed your notes for today, come give them to me after service. Come show them to me as you follow along with God's Word, because God's Word is for you as much as it is for mom and dad. Three truths this morning, and the first one is this. Jesus loves you this much. Jesus loves you this much. Now, I'm unashamedly taking the wording and the action of that point from a sermon that I heard my father once preach. And it's appropriate that it came from my father because those of you who are parents, those of you who have ever been a kid, all of you, therefore, in this room, you remember the game that you used to play. How much does, how much does Daddy love you? This much? This much? No. Daddy loves you this much. There's no better way to jump into this text by reflecting on that simple truth. Not only Jesus loves me, this I know, but Jesus loves you this much. Yes, in in Jesus' mission on earth, He was obediently walking in the will of the Father. In Jesus' mission on earth, He was passionate about bringing glory to the Father's name. But Jesus' mission was not just about duty. This wasn't just about the Father's glory. This was love. This was love for His people. And before his disciples some 2,000 years ago, he communicated this to them in terms that were unmistakable, terms that even a child can understand. This is how much I love you. This is how much I love you. They had been awed already by his compassion for others as they had seen him heal, as they had seen him speak. They had heard his words of instruction, but here in John chapter 13, at the end of his life, he gives them so much more. And it's first stated there in the very beginning, verse 1, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. First, he loved his own. Who were his own? Well, he's not talking about the Jewish people. He's not talking about an ethnic race. This is for those who had received him. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so Jesus loves you, not by your power, not by your intelligence, But by his own will, he made you to be his own. He loves us because he loves us. And here Jesus is, a man that is a man, a man who is no doubt burdened as he is about 15 to 18 hours away from his own death. 
And he wants these men to know, he wants you to know that he loves them. He loves you. He will love to his own death. He will love through his death. Ice telos is the Greek phrase used here, and it could either be a quantitative term, as in to the end of his life or their lives, meaning to the end, or it could be a qualitative term. He loves completely. He loves fully. It's used both ways, and in many ways, in, in one sense, it doesn't matter which way we take it in regards to Jesus here, because both are true. This is the nature, this is the character of Jesus' love for his people. It's not a love that is fickle, it's a love that's dependable, it's a love that's extensive, it's a love that's intensive. Jesus loves you this much. And of course, John doesn't just say it, he loved his disciples to the end but he shows it. Let let Jesus show you how much. Let Jesus show you how much. The disciples, as they arrive in this room, they've just arrived from Bethany. The long walk from Bethany, they didn't have their Merrill hiking boots, they had their sandals on. Their feet were, were disgusting A mixture of of sweat and road residue clung to their toes and to their feet. This, of course, was the way it was in the ancient world. One reason why homes and hospitality had this ancient practice of, of servants, mainly Gentile servants stooping low for the guests as they came to dinner to wash them before dinner. But in God's providence, there are no guests. I mean, there are no servants at this residence. The disciples are not about to wash one another's feet. That's not something that peers did for one another. And it seems that they even didn't want to get their own hands dirty and wash their own feet, and so they just simply go right to dinner. But Jesus gets up. Jesus takes off his outer garment. He takes a towel. He ties it around his waist. He adopts the dress, the ancient dress of a menial Gentile slave who would do this kind of thing on a regular basis, and he begins to show them the extent of his love for them. Just imagine, I know you've heard this story, but you've got to feel this story. Jesus is down by your feet. He's close to their smell. He's got his hands on your feet, working away the grime and the filth. This is service. This is love. And this is how much Jesus loves you. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And in a sense, this this action is Jesus' love letter to His bride, the bride of Christ. But one of the the things I don't want you to forget about Jesus' action here with His disciples was, was all the feet that He washed, and specifically one pair of feet that He washed. 
Judas was in the house. Judas was reclining at dinner. The one who just in a few hours would would betray him and turn his back on his master. And Jesus knew it. John makes a point of saying that Jesus knows what's about to happen. Can you imagine in Jesus' compassion, in Jesus' condescension, in the face of impending rebellion and betrayal, that compassion extends even to Judas and to his feet. Not me, friends. I'm skipping those toes. If I know what's coming, I am skipping that dude's toes. But I'm not Jesus. The tender love of Jesus that loves this much. So how does Jesus love like this? Yes, he's, he's the God-man. Absolutely. But Jesus is human. He knows our weakness. He's walked in our shoes. And I think verse 3 is the key. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose. I want to come back to this at the end, but I want you to see that this was about Jesus' identity, about who Jesus was. It reminded me of Pastor Vols' sermon weeks, maybe months ago now. You see, Jesus knew his present, he knew his past, he knew his future. He knew the authority that was already his by way of the Father, he knew whose he was, where he had come from, his origins, and he knew whose he was, where he was headed, to the right hand of the Father. And that knowledge, that certain hope, gave Jesus the power to love, to love this much. But as amazing as that is, there's more to this passage, isn't there? There's a deeper love than just the washing of feet. There's a love to which this act in John 13 is only a shadow, and that leads us to the second truth. Jesus' love is and must be free. Jesus' love is and must be free. See, this this story is is a parable of sorts. It's not just about clean feet. This is a parable that Jesus gives his disciples and that Jesus gives his church about self-giving love that will will lead him to the cross, where he himself will voluntarily stoop and submit to the slaughter as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Being found in human form, he's humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, Philippians 2.8. You see, Jesus' cleansing of the disciples' feet is just, it's just a foretaste of the cleansing that He will bring. And leave it to Peter, good old Peter. We love Peter. 
because he's so much like us in a lot of ways. Peter helps bring this out as Jesus is making his way around the table. These brothers weren't seated at a table. Jesus wasn't underneath the table. They were reclined, and so they'd be laying next to the table, and so the feet would be easily accessible as Jesus is working his way around the table. He comes to Peter, and Peter replies in verse 6, Lord, do you wash my feet? Now, now Peter's question is not, uh, it's not curiosity. It's not astonishment. It's more like indignation. Right? We've seen this from Peter in other places. You, my feet, nuh-uh, not going to happen. Just forget about it, Lord. I think we've all had instances in our lives when we've said stuff like, stop, please. No, let me do that. Please, no, please let me do that. There's a couple in our lives that, that we love dearly. Speaking of my family's life, this couple has invested so much of their time and so much of their financial resources in us. Some of you have heard the story. They, they paid our way through seminary. They helped us buy our first home, and yet every time we go visit them, they take my girls out for a shopping spree. Every time I go out to eat with them, they never let me pay the bill. Every time I play golf with him, he never lets me pay for the round, and the indebtedness just keeps piling on and on and on and on. But friends, for me, that is a picture of the nature of grace. You see, Peter's response here, as is often the case, it gives voice to our hearts. No, Lord, this is too much grace. I'm not going to accept this. I can't accept this. My smelliness, my dirt, it's humiliating for you to do this. It's humiliating for you to take this. And Jesus responds, you must let me. You must. You can't deal with it, not even a little bit. So let me. I want to heal you because I love you this much, and this is what it's going to take. It's got to be free grace. It must be free grace. And this kind of love, this love of Christ, this is humbling. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. And this is love not that we have loved God, but He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Well, Peter can't see it here in this room, but love will soon go to the cross and will accomplish for them, for Peter, for all of the disciples, for all of us, what will make us forever clean. And that's what Jesus says here. The one who has bathed does not need to wash, but is completely clean. 
Hebrews 10.10, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once and for all. Nothing needs to be added. Nothing must be added. And so what about this phrase that I skipped in the middle of that verse where, where Jesus says, except for his feet? He is clean except for his feet. Well, first of all, it's a, it's a disputed phrase. So many of you in your Bibles, you have a little footnote there that says some manuscripts omit or some manuscripts don't include this phrase. Some people think it was added later as the manuscripts were compiled and handed down. I'm not going to get into all the, the textual debate, but I, I think it fits, and I think it makes an important point. You see, when we come here each Lord's Day, when we confess our sin and ask for the forgiveness of our sins, when we pray with our children during the week, the Lord's Prayer that we began this service with, and we say, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We are not adding to Christ's sacrifice. We are not adding anything that we can give. We are not re-sacrificing Jesus but we are praying for the ongoing application of what is certain and what He's already accomplished. In Jesus, we are clean. We are forever clean. Grace, free and full and humbling and humiliating. And yet our feet still get dirty. But if we confess our sins... He is faithful. He is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession is hard. Repentance is hard. But brothers and sisters, that's what we're called to. To a lifetime of repentance, a lifetime of turning from and resting in the full and free love of Jesus. George Herbert, the 17th century poet, wrote a poem. I've read it to you before, I think, years ago. It's a great poem to think about as we go to the supper. It's entitled Love, and he says this, Love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back, guilty of, of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest, I answered, a guest worthy to be here. Love said, you shall be here. I, the unkind, the ungrateful, ah, oh, my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand and smiling did reply, who made the eyes but I. Truth, Lord, but I have marred them. Let my shame go where it does deserve. You shall not, says love. Who bore the blame, my dear? Then I will serve. You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. So I sit and I eat. Jesus' love is and must be free. As we close this morning, we've got to close this morning. One brief point to end it all, and it's this. The basin and the towel 
our, our way of life. The basin and the towel are our way of life. Verse 15, for I have given you an example that you also should just as I have done to you. In the ancient world, rabbis and their disciples were were commonplace, but there is no account in Jewish or Greco-Roman literature of a master washing the feet of those who followed him. There's no other account like this. Jesus has given his disciples, he's given us a new paradigm for living, one contrary to the world's way of thinking. The way up is down. Arrogance is replaced by humility. Being served is replaced by being the servant. And strength is displayed in seeming weakness, right? This is the way of Christ. This is the way of the cross. And so Paul tells the church, have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. We all know the life of Paul. This became, this love of Christ became an all-controlling thing for Paul. 2 Corinthians 5.14, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. And so, friends, the takeaway from all of this, as one pastor said very succinctly, is to go low. To go low. This is what the gospel does. Husbands, go low. Mothers, go low. Managers, big brothers and big sisters, go low. Christian, go low because Jesus has gone low. And how do you do that? Well, remember Jesus' confidence, His identity. He knew who He was. We now look to Him, to the extent of this love for us, the messiness, the willingness to take and to love and to show compassion. If, there, if Jesus can wash Judas's feet, there is hope for me. We remember the free character of this love. We add nothing to it. We just accept it. And as we wrapped ourselves in His identity, we are now who He is. We are in Christ, united to Him. This is where freedom to love is found. This is where true joy and life are found. May God give us the grace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for this memorable picture that you painted in person for your disciples, that you have painted for us vividly and powerfully in your word. Father, I pray that we, every one of us in this room, many of us have walked with you for years, and yet we're still learning how much you love us. We're still having a hard time accepting 
that you do really love us. And maybe for some in this room, they have never really comprehended or grabbed a hold of this love, and they're hearing it for the first time, and they're saying, could this be true? It's too good to be true. And indeed it is. And yet, it's reality. And so we thank you for the love of Christ, which controls us, which constrains us. May we be filled with it this day and all our days. For the glory of your name, in Jesus' name, amen.